What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular attenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor at New Hill Church. Mark Sherry, pastoral candidate, two months in a row. <laughs> uh, ben Major, member, just hanging out. Jeremy Dubois, Deacon of the Month. Deacon! No introduction required. Enough <laughs> said. Just nods. <laughs> Gary Fox, Associate Pastor of the Month, two months in a row. All right, guys, let's get into it right away. So, uh, this past week, we were in Acts chapter 9, dealing with uh, the conversion of Saul. Um, the, the biggest thing, you can go back and you can listen to that message um, if you missed it. There was a lot that like we really didn't get into as well. Was there anything that stood out to you that like wasn't heavily emphasized? Just because, obviously, it's a longer passage. Uh, we took the narrative route of like getting through the story and, and breaking it down that way. Um, but there's really a lot we, we could have gotten into. Uh, was there something that... Imagine a leader of the Taliban, okay? Now they've just taken Afghanistan again, right? It's looking really bad for the house church movement in Afghanistan and Christians. Now imagine one of their predominant leaders comes to, finds them, and says, I'm one of you now. That's, that is basically what it would be like. So when we're like, why were those Christians hesitant? Why do you think they were hesitant? The the ancient Jew, especially the zealous ones, were as radical as it could get. Like, they would stone people. You know, they were going to stone the woman who was found in adultery. I mean, this was, this was a brutal world, and... Um, so that's just always important to remember. Like, it, I, I kind of think of it in terms of like how shocking it would be if some leader of the Taliban became a Christian and then began to preach Jesus in Afghanistan today. Like, could you imagine Osama bin Laden after mm-hmm. after nine eleven mm-hmm. coming to America and like I'm a Christian, I want to I want to be discipled over here. Right. Shows up at New Hill Church. Right. Or one, maybe not him because he's a political leader, but like a, one of their top clerics, <laughs> like one of their radical clerics who was all like involved uh, yeah, in the, you right, know what yeah. I mean? Like, but someone who's like involved in, in something so heinous, mm-hmm. um, and, and we saw it, right? I think, um, you, I think you hit on the major topic. God radically renews his people, uh, and then your points where he reaches them, regenerates them, and then concluding renews them. But, we, you know, no matter how good we appear in contrast— uh, to Saul as Christians, uh, he was morally better than I guarantee all of us. Uh, bl- oh, he was Yeah, he, you know Hebrew of Hebrews, and so we can all see ourselves in in Saul uh, that we were ignorant, that we were uh, in sin, none the wiser, and uh, God, the Man Jesus Christ, came and uh, broke into our lives. And saved us. I, I think you hit on the the main point definitely, which I really appreciate that sermon. I know others did. Um, you know, the the one thing I brought up to the guys prior to that is when Jesus visits him, the light that shines around uh, Saul is kind of a motif in Scripture, where uh, there's darkness like in creation. Darkness was over the uh, waters, and then God said, "Let there be light." And Paul in Second Corinthians four says that God has shined the light of the gospel uh, onto us as his people. And, and so uh, that is the way we describe ourselves now, is that we walk in the light and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And that is an ongoing process of cleansing. So we don't have another conversion experience. We're not right. born again, 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 again. but, but it, it is the same power that saved us, that sustains us. And we see that throughout uh, Paul's ministry and life. Ups yeah. and downs, though. Yeah, no, that was a that was one of those like details that that just missed it, and it was it was going to be one of those things at the end where, you know, you're trying to wrap it up, and, and the way I went was he was on the way of destruction, and he, you know, he met the way of life. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the same is true. Like with that, like you know, he was in darkness, and he he met you know the light, but also like what he wrote in what was it Second Corinthians because that was the specific yeah. verse, and you had mentioned it, but it had come up in, in some of my. Um, uh, commentaries just prior to that, Second Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians four. Yeah, and I mean, now like the light lives inside of you and leads you and guides you. You know, um, it, it exposes darkness. Um, I remember uh, this is a critical point that I don't want to forget. He did not have the light. No. Okay, but he was very religious. 
Right. And as you guys, in the last couple of weeks, we've been asked, what are you guys going to read? And I talked about how I was wrapping up last class. One of them was on C.S. Lewis. And I had heard that C.S. Lewis flirted with universalism before, but I wasn't real familiar with him. I mean, I read, you know, the Narnia books, and I read Screwtape Letters, and, but I never really read his, I never really studied his other stuff, you know, other teachings and things that he had taught. And he, I think he was a universalist, at least at one point. I mean, it was like, you know, I don't know how I misunderstood. But one of his big points is like, it's not like people, which is totally false, by the way, and I blew, I had to write a paper, I blew this up, but he said that it's not like it's everybody's either 100% Christian or 100% not a Christian. There's, he's like, there's shades of this. Stages. Yeah, and this kind of crap. And I'm like, listen, no, you are either a Christian or you're not a Christian. But he, he was saying like, there are people that don't know they're Christians and are Christians, right? Now, that would have been Paul if such a thing was true. Because he was zealous. Or Saul, I should say. He was zealous, right? He was not of the light, though. So we need to get that in our head that your sincerity and your religion does not equate with merit with God. Right. It doesn't mean you have a little bit of the light. I mean, there may be some common grace things, you know, like in Buddhism, they don't want you to rape neighbors and kill people. So there is an element of truth in their religion, but it's very common grace. He was in darkness. Well, a lot of it Jesus... is, is based off natural law, though, too. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. upholding that or upholding law. Which is like their conscience that God right. gave everyone. Um, but the, I just think it's important where you're, where you're saying, like, he, he was in darkness, now he's in light, and it took a supernatural act of God to get him there. We need to remember this about our, our religious friends that do not abide by the gospel. They're not okay. They're not okay. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, you know, like the one thing that uh, was important and, and Mark brought it out, like when we kind of were talking about the passage before um, Sunday was be reminded for all of us that like not all of our conversions look like Saul. And man, I think that's so good because, um, and, and that's why like I, I hit on it that way. Like, uh, you know, we should want our kids to like not remember a day that they didn't know the Lord. Like, why should we want them to go through right. like, sin and trial? Point, right? Yeah, before before knowing the Lord. Like, I like we think the most powerful testimonies are like Mark Sherry's huh. over there, right. where it's like, wow, that was so miraculous. Wow, he was instead really of, <laughs> well, and it's, it's instead of Jeremy Bloss, who was raised in the church. Oh, that's boring. He was raised in a Baptist church, and he always heard the gospel. I want to hear a good testimony like Mark's. That's right. nonsense. And, and from my estimation, Jeremy's testimony is quote-unquote better, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if he's looking at me saying, wow, I wish I had done all that bad stuff, and then God radically saved me, like, man, I wish I didn't do any of that. That would show the power right. of God sustaining me. Now, the power of God was there, but... Yes. I, Everybody's I made... testimony is miraculous. That's yes. what we need to Ex say. Exactly. Yeah, but I, I think, like, we, we almost um, elevate certain people's testimony. And again, yes. it, it is powerful because there are people who are stuck in those totally depraved situations, especially once you get into adulthood, you may not be... Um, engaging and everything, but um, in some sense, you're you're further out, so you've seen a lot. So, like hearing those testimonies reminds you of the hope that you have. Well, he has been forgiven little, loves little. Isn't it what Jesus said? He forgives much, so, much, much. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. It's like we almost want to like put our kids in precarious situations when it it's almost it can be devastating to their souls because we want them to like go out a little bit and do their thing. Someone was talking about. Um, the Amish, the Amish people, yes, uh, and how it's really cool that they like, they you know raise their kids, they turn eighteen, and they have that like they have moment a name of for en it. enlightenment uh, almost. There's and, a German name yeah. for it, like it's a thing. Right, you've now entered this. Yeah, and, and you can it. leave. But what you see is like they go out, a lot of them will go out and like come back like wow like no I didn't mm -hmm. want any any part of that. They go get drunk because you realize it. like how good it was like not how good you had it. Right? Like when we talk about how good you have it, like with the nice car and like the good materialistic things, but how good they had it and like the simplicity of just obeying the Lord and, and doing as he's commanded. So like there's a lot of good truth there. And mm -hmm. and I don't think it's worth – now, I'm not saying like we even talk back to like trick-or-treating things. Like we're not saying remove yourself entirely from the world and like don't ever engage in anything. Don't go to the movie theaters. Um, but there's a sense of like – really paying attention to what we're letting our kids listen to and participate in yeah. and whether or not it's God honoring. So like that was just 
you know, Mark, I, I appreciate you like mentioning that beforehand because it was a good reminder, even to me, who's like somewhere in the middle. Um, but man, I, I want that for my kids. Like, I don't want them to remember a day that they didn't know the Lord. So I have one more question, um, especially because if we got uh, people who are newer Christians listening to us, we're kind of re- referencing to like how religious Paul at that time, his name was Saul. Later on, his name is after he became a Christian, his name changed to Paul. We're referring to how religious he was. What? Why do we think he was so religious? What? What was it about Saul that we would say he was very religious? Is he's a Pharisee? Well, what does that mean for a new Christian? Like, what are we equating that to? Like, what does that mean? What did that look like back then? Are you what, was a, what was a Pharisee? What was a Pharisee? Saul was a Pharisee. Why was that? Yeah, why is that relevant? Hold yeah. on. Here's a question. Yeah. For you, and then we'll we'll talk about what was a Pharisee. Where where do we find out about Pharisees? Because you don't read about them in the Old Testament. In the where did they first show up? And where do they first show up? In history, like in, oh, in history. Oh, I don't know. I'm, you can I read about it in some that, people's Bibles. Oh, the Apocrypha. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. So was bingo. that between the four hundred year yeah that yes, was in the period of silence? Period. But I don't know. Was that towards the beginning of that or towards the end? I didn't ask that question. We don't <laughs> I'm asking. I just know that it's in there. Back to being wars. Okay, there you go. Which I don't know enough of that. Anyway, there's only yeah, 400 I, years, so sometime, back, back to Gary's question. So what? Yeah, so he was a Pharisee. What does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? What yeah. So, that? so during that time, they were kind of a ruling elite, the spiritual, you know, uh, fathers of the children. Uh, so basically, they they there was two ruling elites. There was the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and and you can remember one of the differences oh, between them. Because uh, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and that's why they're sad, you see. But the Pharisees uh, <laughs> did. And they, they were more, I'd say, like the conservative, more the literalist. And, and the way I like to describe it is, so when they, they, they would memorize the scriptures, the entire Old Testament, you know, all 39 books, word for word, and they took religion so seriously that they would build fences around fences. So if you imagine God's law as a fence around you know, a particular command, they would build fences as far as you could see so that you're not even coming close to that middle fence. And they really did believe that so you're like right. Fundamentalists today. Just yeah. like fundamentalists. I'd say be way, way beyond fundamentalists. Yeah, but I that's the same like, concept. I mean, like it's, it's wrong to fornicate. So if you dance provocatively, then or, you're and not dancing at all. Yeah. Just like fence after fence, like don't because we don't want to go to fornication. So. It's it's more like don't drive in the same on the same street that the dance club is. Right. I mean, they wouldn't walk on the same side of the street as certain people. You know, they would lift up these haughty prayers. So they were they were basically uh, spiritual elites, and I'm not sure what to equivocate them to other than in the Christian world, like uh, the the big head honchos, like. You know, formerly Benny Hinn, right? They were like little gods to the people, uh, and many of them respected them and listened to them, and others did not. Catholicism couldn't you equate them to mm. like a bishop or Perfect. something? Perfect. Yes, yeah. the Pope. The Pope. I was. I was so, going to yeah. say. I always thought of them kind of like the Catholic Church uh, heads. Like, you know, you look to those people to, to tell so you what, what to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. that's good. It's a good analogy. Yeah. Now, Absolutely. in fairness to them, they they most they were predominant like of the new Christians. Almost all of them were either former Pharisees or the disciples of the Pharisees. The, the early Christians were heavily influenced because of the resurrection, because of their view of the Old Testament. Like, the, they were the conservatives. And so Paul, later on, you know, you could see that he, his perspective. So there are some good things to say about the Pharisees. The Pharisees initially came, I remember they came out of captivity they have been all, you know, influenced by all of these pagan nations and so forth. They're coming back uh, into the land and so forth. And so the Pharisees were like, "We're losing, we're losing the faith here. Like we've got to get serious about the Word of God. Uh, we got to." And so they were, they were elite. They became elite by the time Jesus and Paul showed up. It had morphed into a hierarchy mm-hmm. and so forth. But we always, there's one thing I've just, I've been studying. I listen. I think we have a James White. That I heard him say this, it's like they were the precursors to the Christian church. Like the, they influenced their basic worldview of of the, like the resurrection and the inerrancy of the scriptures, the the uh, radical nature of their devotion. 
like many of them died prior to Christ, like during various revolts and things like this. Like they were zealous for the things of God, so they were, and that's why they were elite because people respected them so much and highly educated and smart. How many of us have memorized the whole Old Testament? Right. I mean, hello. When they would tie the mint and brew, they got into the fine details. And Jesus tells them, you know, you do all these things and you're right to do that, but you leave out love and justice Mm -hmm. and mercy, and ultimately you're, you're, you know, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. So they they did have a lot of positive attributes about them. They did. And so that's the context in which Paul, why Paul, or at the time Saul, was so revered, he was considered a leader of the Pharisees, he was a teacher of the Pharisees, and they were looked at as extremely moral people. So him going around and having these Christians arrested, they thought they were serving God. He thought that he was serving God, and he didn't do it out of, per se, like malice. Like he didn't, yeah. he, he, it was he did it in clear radical yeah. ignorance and sinfulness. Well, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, question you another time. So, uh, I've I've taught and and even preached that Saul's name was changed to Paul because he became a Christian. I'm only about eighty five percent sure on that because I know there's another side, and they make some good arguments. So another another time. I don't Michael's, know why. Michael's the axe expert, so maybe he can speak to it. When do you think it. it was changed? Paul was his Roman name. So it, it, there was no, you know, he's a Christian now, there, and he there was no formal change, was there? There was no point. There, where, there's a distinct period where they start but using did Paul Jesus do that, or did Paul? In other words, was it no, not just no. a Roman? It, it doesn't. It, it. There's no like, you know, your name is Peter, or your name is, you know, Simeon. I'm the call you, or, yeah, yeah. or Simon. Now Simon. Now yeah. Cephas. Right. Right. Now it's gonna bug me. Because, no, no. Uh, defer it. That's another. It is an, actually an issue of when and how and if. His name I'm, actually changed to Paul. I'm not fully sold on that it was this. And, and you see that in Scripture where when God encounters someone, he gives them a new name. He names them. Now, I right? think Abram Hebrew to Abram. Or is that a Roman name? Uh, Saul is the Hebrew name. Uh, Paul would be the so Roman name. Would, would you think maybe he was going by both? Possibly. Depending on who but there, there, there is a distinct shift. He went to the Gentiles. Yeah, maybe that's why he used it. But I don't. I, there's no count of Jesus saying, "You were Saul, now, now you're, you're Paul. Paul." So I'm not. I'm not sold on that. Um, I think Either way, it happened yes, after his conversion. Correct. So Paul means little, and, yes, and, and Paul was little. So he probably changed the Saul, which means uh, I think it meant like question or something like um, maybe someone who knows answers. Now the difference I think and why the name eventually changed um, probably even though so this is. This is my own thought, speculation, speculation um, but I think it's great speculation at that. Uh, it's the greatest. Why else would you think you'd <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so I think it was because uh, the name, um, his name was feared uh, by believers. That's and I think it's, it's like for us, and I'll just give you a little bit of background on our name and then we'll get into today, today's question. We're not New Hill Southern Baptist Church. Um, because I would rather explain to you that I'm Baptist as opposed to you just never come in because, oh, they're just Baptist. Sure. Right. Yeah. So Saul, again, speculation, may have gotten sick of all the Christians like, oh, it's Saul! Like, it, he let his testimony, I think, speak for itself. That name but, stood out. Um, that, that explanation. And, and I mean, to change your name back to short, I mean, come on. Dude, like, I, know. I think <laughs> there's a lot of... That's a thorn in the side. Yeah. He probably wanted to keep being called Saul. Well, they, you know, some people point out that's why he was so zealous as he had kind of a small man complex and I, I, I've, I've read commentaries that that's kind of what they're getting we're at. talking like small small like I, I kind of think like you know how we call our son Archie instead of Archer yeah. actually he's going to grow up and he's going to reach that point where I want to be called Archer instead it's yeah. like it's like that shift in the mind mm-hmm. and you'll never change because that's your little boy yeah like my dad so, will never call so me Mike he might have just hit that point the same point that he uh, growing like up that. where he's like alright yeah. Saw at this point. Yeah. Many, many different reasons, but I right, call my son right. son. Yeah. I almost never call him father. I'd say at least half the time I call him son. Yeah. I don't say their name. All right, Pastor so, Gary, what is our question of the day? Well, it's uh, it's actually more controversial, maybe that you would think once we get into it. But that is, is it possible for somebody? Is it possible for Jesus to be somebody's savior and not? their Lord. In other words, can somebody get saved, never live for the Lord, or live very nominally, and go to heaven? 
right? Because we have, you know, we've got children's church, we little kids. If a little kid says the prayer with Miss Chrissa in children's church, and, you know, by all accounts, is sincere. That kid thinks he's sincere, right? I remember doing that. And then go lives basically in the world, never denies Jesus, but just never lives for Jesus. Is that person saved? Is, is that person going to heaven? So, and it's good if I could just jump in and give the background. So sure, back in the right. 80s and the 90s, uh, a gentleman named Zane Hodges wrote mm -hmm. a book called Absolutely Free from a Semi-Pelagian Perspective. What's that mean? Uh, that is where you are, uh, well, Pelagius taught that you were born as kind of a blank page. And whatever you do, uh, that's written in your book, and you have the full free will to do good or bad. So you're not, you're not pre- good or evil. You're yes, you're, you're not predisposed towards being uh, evil. You have to choose that from your birth. It's just funny that he never met a person, now there's any person who didn't sin apart from Christ. Right. So they all make that choice. But, uh, so he, he wrote a book. Uh, called Absolutely Free, and it, it was essentially, just like Gary said, uh, once a person says the prayer, they believe, it, it, it really doesn't matter what happens to them after that point, whether they continue to believe, whether they're being sanctified, whether they have any works or not, because they're justified once and for all. So you can live like the devil all your life, have zero regard for God, not go to church, but even be a blasphemer, and and you'll still go to heaven. He and said only, that, that that was that was the clear implication. Wow. You can do whatever. It doesn't and, matter. Right? right, right. And and so you know the the whole point of good works is to get rewards in heaven. So we want to incentivize you so you can have, you know, rewards in heaven. <coughs> and and uh, you know the the conservative Christian world reacted to this. Uh, the chief of them being John MacArthur, and they titled it Easy Believism. And so uh, MacArthur responded in this book called The Gospel According to Jesus. And um, I've, I have opinions on that. I, there's a lot I agree with. He has but a couple just, additions to that book, too. Yeah, he made, he made revisions, and the, the critiques I have are even about the new additions. So I'm not going to go back right. to older material. But yeah, I just want to frame that. That's where this debate comes from. So we'll lay the groundwork to answer this question simply, and then we can work out the nuances um, as we proceed from there. But... So the question, can Jesus be someone's savior and not their Lord? Um, the answer is no. And let me turn to the scriptures. Romans 10 uh, verses 9 through 13. This is really important because uh, we do believe that you, you do go to God and through prayer because that's communicating with God, right? Uh, so there's that sense of prayer, confessing with your mouth, you know, repenting of your sin. Um, but Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Uh, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, what's the, who's the name of the Lord? Jesus. Jesus Christ. So, now, they're together, right? So, if Jesus is your Savior, He is your Lord. You're calling on the name of the Lord. Um, and then, back to, to verse 9, uh, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So, this, this goes into the fact of even denying Jesus' deity uh, means that you've not accepted Jesus' atonement, right? In the sense of, like, you've not repented of your sin, the atonement hasn't been placed on you, right? You've not been paid for. Um, you cannot accept the gospel without accepting his deity, like period, like yeah, e even with the absolutely. Trinity, right? Like, so there's a sense of like learning and growing that goes with this. Um, and, and I'll let you guys speak to that too. Like, um, your all's thoughts on that. But now a child, it may take them a little bit of time to understand like Jesus is, is God, right? It's not that they're denying it. It's that we're helping them to better understand exactly who Jesus is. Um, but there's a sense that right here, it's saying that, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So they're absolutely hand in hand. If he's your Savior, that means he's your Lord. But the, what if, so what if you, you, know, you said the prayer, you, I mean, I nobody there's, denies. There's two different answers here for this question, because right now, like, what you're trying to say is, okay, when you're, let's take the same example, when you're a child, and you get saved, you believe in Jesus, you believe he's your Lord, sure, he's your Savior, he's your Lord. He's saying when you, you do that and then you grow up, 
and you don't live that, and you don't believe it as life goes on, and you don't live that Christian life that you should be living, like, there's a distinction between the two, because at that moment, he may be your Lord, but as you learn and grow, don't do anything about it. I think there's two Or maybe another way of putting it, what if you believe Jesus is the Lord, but yeah. you're not... He's not really your Lord. Right. Yeah. So Mike and I had be this. Saved because yeah. here's the here's the here's where the because we believe that justification is by an act of God by grace through faith apart from any works apart from any merit, and so if we say Jesus must be your Lord, what does that mean? Like what's or maybe another way of wording this: We all in agreement. Only Christians go to heaven. Right? Amen. Only Christians go to heaven. Right. What's a Christian? That's another way of answering that question. What is a Christian? How do you know what a Christian is? Right? Is it someone who says the prayer like Jeremy was explaining? And, and that, you know, okay, by grace through faith, you, I mean, God is merciful. You said the prayer. Um, is that what, or is a Christian somebody who is Christ-like, who is holy, and our, we've got, there's extreme Arminians out there that believe in, you can attain holiness, like pure sanctification. Is that what we're talking about? And if we're not saying, that, by that, I mean perfection, basically. Stop, they, they literally believe they stop sinning. Which would be the ultimate definition of lordship, I think we would agree. Total, complete submission to Christ, Right? If that's not the definition, then what is the definition? That's why this gets to be well, difficult, because every time you sin, you say no to Jesus. I'm going to do what I want right now. I'm the Lord. You, I know you said not to do this. I don't care. So in that moment, he's not Lord. You're Lord. So these are the... I think. Well, and there, there, are, there's a semantic here. You pointed it out. Uh, yeah. This is semantics to where there's, here. yeah, no. It, it, here, here's the thing: is Jesus is everyone's Lord. He is Lord of whether all. They uh, or not. Whether they can, like, there, I shared with Michael the other day in the movie Braveheart, where William Wallace is standing before the jury. And he says, "I don't acknowledge him. You know, the king is my Lord." And the response is great. It, he is your Lord, whether you acknowledge it or not. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Jesus is Lord. So he is Lord in a way to everybody. And yet there's another way where he's not their Lord, their personal Lord and Savior. Um, so they're not accepting it. Right. Where they're rejecting his Lordship. But he's still their Lord. So could that person be saved? No. And what did, okay, so what does it mean? I mean, they can be. What does it, they can be, but, so, in that, so when we say, you must accept Jesus as not just the Lord, but your Lord, what does that mean? Where's the rubber hit the road? How do you know that? How do you know that he is your Lord? Because we all sin. And so every time we do it, we're proving He's not my Lord, at least in that moment. Well, so, so that's the so, trouble. So, yeah, so that would be the thing you're saying is, is not in that moment. But it doesn't take away from the fact that we sin and then we turn and repent. And even the, the spirit living inside of us convicting us um, of that sin. So you can make decisions like, you know, like even as a kid, um, like dad was still my dad and, you know, had authority over our home. Right. Um, and just because I went against him didn't mean he wasn't my dad or that I was denying that he's my dad. It was an act of rebellion, and that's what sin is. We're rebelling against God. Um, His I think worship. The, the, yeah, right. The big thing is repentance. So, so this this gets really into perseverance of the saints because I right. think that the the timeline can look different for everybody, um, but the ultimate outcome uh, will be the same. There's eventually down the road before you die, right? Perseverance of the saints. There's going to be some some submission to that, um, especially for true saints. Like we believe that as. As Christians, Orthodox Christians, we believe in eternal security, perseverance of the saints, that you may go, um, like the prodigal son, you may go off for a while, but you, you come back, right? Like, for true true Christians. At no point is the prodigal son not referred to as a son. Not one time. The whole time, he was referred to as a son, and he referred to his father as his father. That's an yes, important sir. distinction to make. So we're, we're making, let me clarify where we are so far for the listeners. The answer to this question is no, Jesus cannot be your Savior 
um, if he's not your Lord. Um, but the nuances is how it works out in your life because you're still dealing with sin, trying to overcome sin. Um, so this is where we are. We're working so out. So Mark, what is it? Well, what Jesus to be your Lord? Yeah, I mean, um, well, and I have something in my mind. If I could just get it out there on the table first. So this has to do with the law of God. What relationship mm-hmm. does the believer have to the law of God? And I. I I'd like to, at the end, kind of give concluding thoughts on the three uses of law. Um, but at the end of the day, Zane Hodge's book, he's an antinomian uh, against the law. It has no place in the life of a Christian. Uh, and, and that's part of semi-Pelagianism. Um, and and, and Steelism. Yeah, right. So, so there's, <laughs> you know, as far as what it means at the end of the day we cannot see into a person's heart there are many people throughout history who have made professions uh like credible professions did all the right things and then they walked away finally as far as we know so you know it's it's i think it's i don't think it's difficult uh, difficult biblically i think there are evidences of salvation you can look and see that someone like Jeremy mentioned, they're repenting, right? They're, they're, so, they're yes, they're bearing fruit. So they they suddenly uh, hate sin, even though they, you know, commit sins. They hate their sin, and they love God. They love His law. They want to obey with Him. They want to read the Scriptures. They want to pray. They want to worship at church. Uh, those are evidences. But the challenge is that there's people who have that appearance who are not saved. Lord, and, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Right, and so that that's kind of like the common message. I, I'm gonna, I'd like to at some point interact with some of that material that we kind of. So there's there's two ditches on the side of this road. Mm-hmm. On the left side, there's antinomianism against the law. The Zane Hodges, Does it matter? right? You can do whatever you want, and you're still saved because you said the the sinner's prayer. The other side is, I think. Uh, MacArthur's guilty of it, even though he believes in justification by faith, even though he's a Calvinist. Um, I think he takes such a knee-jerk reaction to Zane Hodges that it becomes legalism, that the works, you judge someone exclusively by their works. Right, yeah, and just going from one end of the to the other. It, ex- exactly. Just, so yeah. I, I think it's careful. We need to walk. It's not a type, It's not a tightrope. I think we need to walk the road of Scripture as it presents it. Because we're not Pharisees? Because we're not Pharisees. And we're also not universalists. That's right. right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and you know, like, when, when uh, Pastor Gary sent this out as, like, what we're going to be talking about, one of the things, and I just want to make sure I say it, and I want to end with this also, like, this is why it's important to, when we're speaking to people, like, not just saying, like, Jesus is God, but, like, remind them that Jesus is your God. One of the, um, one of my favorite songs to sing in church is How Great Thou Art, because when it, uh, I don't know if it's the opening line, um, My Lord, My God. Um, when I, right. yeah, like that confession so of, <laughs> yeah, well, so, so here, let me, uh, give everybody a little bit of a background. I'm not always the best at like remembering lyrics, especially with hymns, but I also didn't grow up in, in church. So like some of these songs, it takes me a little bit of time, but like every time that one hits and I hear the congregation singing it, it's this confession that Jesus is not just God. Jesus is not just Lord, but my personal. Lord, my God, our Lord, our God, right? We use like, the term personal Lord and Savior, right? right. It's personal. Yeah, so <clears throat> what I would say uh, to this is, is the reminder from Paul. He's appealing to his brothers um, in Romans 12 um, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now he's appealing to brothers. So there's this understanding that there's a struggle in the life to uphold the law, right? So we look to Jesus. Um, but then like, you don't want to go so far back to Romans six where, oh, well, when, when we sin, grace can abound. So sin more so that grace may abound more. No. Right. So like Romans Which 12. Which is almost what Zane was saying. Right. I mean, it's almost like the more you sin, the more it proves God's grace. Right. And, and Paul deals with that all through Romans, just this idea of you know, doctrine in the first 11 chapters, and then you come to chapter 12, and that's the transitional time where he, he starts to, to make the application for uh, the Christian's life. And he's appealing, so he understands the struggle. Um, he, he talks about it a lot in his epistles. Um, and then he says in verse 2 of, of Romans 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. So as you're living life, um, you've got to make these these conscious decisions um, that Jesus is Lord over that situation, whatever it might be. Um, and and the difficult thing too, like we're saying, Christians don't love sin. Now you may find yourself in a moment where you're like, no, I, I do like this one, and yeah. I know that it's wrong. And what what you need to begin to understand is, no, you love how that that sin makes you feel mm-hmm. because it's making you Lord over your life in that situation. Temporarily. Exactly. Temporarily. You're infilling yourself with your pride. Um, and, and you were at that point quenching the spirit. And you hate it Should when you we do be it. Examining yeah. ourselves you, to see if we really are Christians. How does assurance play into this? Because let's take Jeremy's example of that kid, right? If he's 30 years old, he comes to me and he's been living a homosexual life and totally out of the world and, and telling me that I was at New Hill back in 2020 or 2021, and I said the prayer with Miss Chrissa, I'm not going to talk to that guy like he's a Christian. I'm starting fresh with him, right? So he, sh- so I would say that hypothetical person, we can't judge any real person's heart, but in that theoretical person's life, I would say you should not have assurance of your salvation. I would tell him that. I would say, I, I don't think you understand the gospel. You'd say that to what person? To this person who said the prayer of Miss Chris in 2021 and in 2050 is living worldly, totally worldly, and has lived worldly ever since that day with Miss Chris in Sunday school. I would say that person should not rest in the assurance of salvation. You need to be saved, right? So at some point, are we supposed to be testing ourselves to see if we're the faith? If we're living in sin, what do we do with that? Well, I mean, in that part of that, sorry, just, I mean, he's using the word testing. Um, I agree. I mean, or examine yourself for communion, right? I mean, yeah, I think the the Bible tells us to confront our sins, uh, to test and examine ourselves. Um, Especially, I mean, like, think about the person who's been misled um, by a teacher, right? A false teacher. Mm -hmm. And they said a prayer and, like, they really didn't comprehend what was done. So, Obviously, like there's some sense of that, but Paul says it there in the verse I just read that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. I, I do think there's this sense of examination within our life. Now, what you don't want to do as a Christian is, is, is examine your past week and say, "Well, I sinned and I'm not worthy." The whole point of the gospel is rem- like the reminder that you can't uphold or do it on your own. So when now you're seeing the tension here because yeah. you got false assurance. But then real assurance that Christians should enjoy, right? But then how do you – that's where I'm trying to get at with this so, question. And I'm, all, I'm being coy here. I'll, I'll, I'll end up with some final thoughts. But I'm, I'm trying to push on this because a new Christian is probably going, uh, I don't know what to think now. And I'll, I'll give one more thing and hand it over to you, Mark, because you're using the example of a child who uh, prayed a prayer, the prayer. And now – so let's say uh, – And they're we'll telling say, me. They're saying, yeah. I, I meant it. I meant that. Yeah, and we'll just go with the hypothetical. I know six six years old, yeah. and now he's fifty six. Um, at eight years old, he left the church, but he remembers that time he prayed and even went through with baptism. Pastors yes. uh, let him Pastor through. Michael he, baptized. He's baptized. Yep. Um, I remember a pastor saying this, and I have stuck with it, and I I do advise people on this when they're talking about like a loved one who did that exact same thing six, and now they're fifty six. It's their kid, so the parents in their seventies. I tell them I would begin sharing the gospel with them. You've not seen fruit for for 50 years. Um, there becomes a point where it's like, just share the gospel. And if they say, no, I believe that, then I would say, so where's your life? Like, Because here are the commands. So if, if the Great Commission is to go and make disciples, right, leading people to the Lord, the Great Commission also entails not just baptizing, but teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Um, so... There's that sense of like, yeah, Jesus we, we says, don't want to you love me, obey my commandments. Right. So we do want to rest in assurance, but we also want to want to be sure. So like, that's why I think like for us, we need to not always look to the time that you were saved. Like, oh, I was six and I prayed a prayer. But like, are you believing now? And, and that's something I've heard Pastor Mark say is like, you know, like, where, where are you at now? Like, where's your heart now? So, right. and again, like, I, I get that there's, there's tensions here. Um, but I think when you begin to have that, that dialogue, it could prove that when they were six, yes, they, they truly were saved, and they've been living in sin and in turmoil, and a lot of their life is a reflector of that. Yeah, I mean, that, sorry, they, they usually 
have pain in their life mm, because right. they're fighting what they're naturally supposed to be doing because yeah. they have the spirit yeah. inside of them saying, hey, this is wrong. And at that point, they might not even realize that's what it is. And haven't right. been in fellowship right. with other it's believers true. where I think like, you know, yeah. th- that is a gift and a command for us to be in fellowship with other believers as part of the local church because you've got that accountability, that love, and that instruction. Yeah. Um, and also, the church is missing out on, on your obedience because your obedience stirs others up to good works, to obedience in the Lord yeah, also. using your gifts and all that. Yeah I, I, yeah, I was just going to say... Um, I know there's a lot. No, no, you're fine. I'm trying to track with it all. Uh, this this is great, by the way. So we, we, all, we all agree that uh, the Bible says that faith will generate fruit, right? I really like what R.C. Sproul says, that Jesus did not curse the fig tree uh, for, for having little fruit. He cursed it for having no fruit. Mm-hmm. So there, there are obvious fruits. There are obvious evidences that someone is regenerate. Uh, that being said, there are tender conscience, uh, tender consciences. We have examples in scripture and throughout church history where people seem to uh, fall away in a sense, right? They're not obeying for long periods of time. King David being in sin for nine months uh, was, was someone right to come up to him and say, you know what? You're not a believer. You haven't been obeying. You're covering your sin. Um, you know, I think those kinds of questions are important because for those of us who do have tender consciences, who, you know, do believe on Jesus, you do love Jesus, and you find that you're not loving God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind every day, uh, this can be a crushing burden. And that's the knee-jerk reaction I'm talking about is with, with the three uses of the law, uh, the first use is how, um, is how our sin drives us to the Savior. That is the first use of law. It's it's kind of a mirror where we see ourselves for what we are and how we need Christ. The second use of the law, broadly speaking, is to restrain our corruption. And then the third use of the law is to serve as a perfect guide for living in Christ. Uh, It's the the guardrails. This is how you're to walk. And so uh, what I've seen some of the Lordship Salvation people do, who I I will side with them faster than with true easy believisms. uh, easy believism guys any day, but they confuse the first use of the law and the third use of the law. I've uh, not to you know drop names of pastors. I won't, but um, you know popular pastors they do this a lot and they rightfully preach the law, but they use it to condemn Christians. They use it to scare the hell out of them, so to speak. And I don't I don't think. That's right. Um, like when I listen to uh, the shocking youth message by Paul Washer yeah, to those professing Christians, I loved it. I mean, I question my salvation uh, because he he used the first use of the law. This is God's standard, and if you're if you're you know this is how bad you are. He he was speaking to a, a professing Christian audience, and while I loved it, I don't know that it was entirely appropriate for him to keep it in that category. And say, you know, just because you listen to Britney Spears or whatever he said, you're not a believer, right? right. That, that's, those are the metrics I'm concerned with. It's who's creating these metrics uh, in the Lordship camp? Is it the Bible or is it the pastors, right? I've heard, um, gosh, I invited a friend to church years ago and a missionary pastor came and preached at the church. And my friend just happened to be wearing shorts. And this guy railed against people wearing his shorts, like basically, you're not. You have no regard for the house of God. You know, it was question your salvation. I sent uh, you guys a clip. It's a joke. It's an independent fundamental Baptist guy, IFB, and he was talking about is it a sin for women to wear pants? And he said yes, yes. And he didn't mention it in the little clip, but at the bottom, if you look at the, it was like something that they had videotaped and they had the scriptures on the screen, and it was talking about. I don't know if it was out of Deuteronomy, I think, where a woman should not. Dresses a man, and a man should not dress as a woman. Now, I said that as a joke, um, and I'll just, Lauren, I sent out to the pastors and their wives to give the wives a hard time, like, look, ladies, you need to straighten up here. But Lauren was like, wanting to be, she's like, are you sending me this because you think I need to quit work? I said, no, Lauren. I said, let me just give you some more context here, right? And so I explained that, in fact, it is a sin for a man to dress like a woman, cross-dress, any cross-dressing, a woman cross-dressing like a man. I said, but the problem with this guy's preaching is that he then is setting the standard on what is a men's exactly. apparel, exactly. what's a woman's apparel. And in our day and in our context, in our culture, 
that's not considered feminine. Exactly. I mean, masculine to, right. wear, to wear pants. And I pointed out that in history, even the days in the Bible, we would consider what the men were wearing to be skirts yeah. yep. or kilts in different parts of the world and so forth, uh, loincloths and things like this. That would be not something we would do if a man was to walk around wearing a skirt now. That would appear to be feminine. In our culture, <clears throat> that's still... I mean, if you go to the department store, that's in the feminine area, right? I mean, it's still considered. The point, though, it's is what you're getting at, or a kilt or whatever. It better be very clearly a kilt. And you can probably get away with a kilt if it's very clearly a kilt. But the I don't point, think we could pull it off. Even so. I'm sorry. So they created the metric. They created the metric. So yes. it's Britney Spears. Right. Exactly. If you do these things, right. then you're not saved because this is what I say the Bible says about right. this time. So if I, if I could also just uh, give, give a, a, a little thought as well here is, um, you know, with, with the knee-jerk reaction, what we don't want to do, uh, the Theocast guys call it, is gospel. We don't want to confuse or conflate the law and the gospel. They're distinct and this goes back to the marrow controversy back in the 1700s with the Scots and, and how, you know, a lot of these pastors created these, uh, these you know, indicators that you're ready to come to Christ when you are this repentant. Yes. Well, you know, basically this many tears, you know, this many prayers. And it's like a Roman Catholic system, basically, where before you come to Jesus, there is something, there is some kind of repentance you have to have so in your we, heart. We would, say, we would say you need to be sincere. They would then tell you what sincere is. So they, right? They, I mean, yeah. they're defining it, exactly. what sincerity is. So, so they, they, they settled this in that time very, very thoroughly. And just two quotes uh, from Calvin and Spurgeon, John Calvin says, If believers begin to judge their salvation by good works, nothing will be more uncertain or feeble. You cannot judge your life exclusively by your works based on your salvation. You look to Christ. And then this one, this one kind of took me to task from Spurgeon. It, he said in one of his sermons, It's currently believed that we are first of all to mourn for our sins and then to look by faith to our Lord Jesus Christ. Most persons who have any concern about their souls but are not as yet enlightened by the Spirit of God think that there is a degree of tenderness of conscience and of hatred of sin which they are to obtain somehow or other, and then they will be permitted and authorized to look to Jesus Christ. Now you'll perceive that this is not according to the Scripture, for, for according to the text before us, men first look upon him who they have pierced, and then, but not till then, mourn for sin. This is the common folly of men. They look for the effect in order to produce the cause. Yes. They forget the old proverb and put the cart before the horse. But our text plainly indicates that what is the cause, uh, that what is the cause, and puts it first, assuring us that the effect will follow. Repentance is in no sense a title of faith in Christ. It is, on the other hand, a legitimate consequence of faith. And that's that's. I know that's a long quote, but I think that's very important. For, for whether it's a sinner who uh, has not yet faced the law, maybe they have and they have not embraced Christ, what do they need to do to prep their hearts? And I feel like we, we sometimes will go home and, you know, read your Bible and really search for God. It's like the person's lost, right? That's Bible readings, grace. They, they need to believe on Christ. And then the person who has believed on Christ, that evidence will be the, continu like you mentioned, the continued repentance, the continued faith, <laughs> to right. varying degrees, up or down. And, yeah. and I think, you know, John talks about it. First John, I mean, he, he deals with those who walk away from the faith, um, like truly going away. Um, he says they were never really of us. They were amongst us, right? But they left because they weren't really of us. Now you get into to chapter three. I'll read uh, a few verses here. First John three, picking up in verse four, says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Uh, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And then um, R.C. Sproul notes on that, that keeps on sinning, no one who keeps on sinning. Uh, this is a note from um, R.C. himself. He says, uh, the present tense of the Greek suggests behavior that is characteristic or usual. Right? He says, John acknowledges but does not excuse the possibility of occasional sin, in the believers, uh, in the life of a believer, 
Another possibility is that John has in mind the specific sin of end-time apostasy mentioned in chapter 2, verse 19. Um, so he, he's talking about, and, and Scripture, when it talks about continuing to sin, right, um, that that is not a sign of, of someone who is trusted in the Lord. Now, we're talking about makes a practice of it, habitual, uh, no care in the world, never going to give it up um, till the day I die. Jesus can just deal with the way that I live. And I know Christians, uh, supposed Christians who are like this, right, who are, who are drunks, and they're like, you know, God will deal with me then. And I'm like, yeah, but you you don't want to meet him on that day where you're just saying, like, I don't care, um, right? right? So so this is talking about the practice of sin, not the occasional sin or overcoming sin, maybe Maybe you're, you're caught up in sin, and there's, there is a little bit of a pattern, um, but, but when you're in fellowship with other believers who can call you out on that and point you to Christ, who sets you free from that, the response will show really what's within. And that's what, what even James, you know, a lot of people yes. take James and didn't want to deal with James when he says faith without works is dead. James wasn't pointing you to a, a works-based faith, but a faith that works. Martin Luther talked about that when, when dealing with James. So a faith that works. So if you've got true faith in Christ, your um, time of repentance wasn't a moment of repentance. It's a life of repentance, right. right? Like looking to Christ in the finished work of the cross and saying, he has set me free. He has given me his spirit um, and I can overcome this in him, not by yourself. So, so the issue is, is when we begin to like look at the law, we're thinking, oh, I've got to figure out how to merit my mm. way. Like, yeah, Jesus set me free, but now I've got to do all these things. And that's just not what the scripture says. But the scriptures do say that you will and should overcome. Right. That's um, where we got the two guardrails and the two the two ditches. Right. Because we you know, when you preach the full gospel, it involves regeneration. That's right. So you're born again. Something changes in you, right? You are given a new heart. And when a new heart is birthed in you, you begin to have new desires, which touches on what James was getting at. Faith without works is dead. So that kind of faith, that can that faith save you? No. The kind of faith that does not, uh, does not, is not regenerate. In other words, a faith that is not saving and causes, that causes you to become a new person with new desires. Now, at the, so there will be a life change when you're saved. You are, you're made a new person with new desires. And so when I'm talking with someone and, and, and they're living in sin, one of the things that I'm trying to dig in when I'm talking to them is do they understand and truly believe that sin is sin, right? Do they recognize I'm doing this and it's sinful and I don't like it, but I'm stuck. I'm in this. I keep falling in this. I keep doing these things, but I know it's sin, I don't like it, I don't want it, I want free from it. That's evidence of a new heart, mm -hmm. because you've got this urge in you to stop it. Somebody, though, who comes to me and does not, wants to argue with me on whether or not it's okay to do X, Y, Z, where the Bible flat out says it's an abomination, flat out says it's a sin, that then begins to raise red flags with me, saying, where's the new heart here? Yeah. When you when a Christian is confronted with their sin, they're not going to tell you, I know the Bible says this, but I don't really care. I don't agree with God in this. So I don't think when you're talking about Jesus being Lord, I believe that it is a genuine recognition of that reality and a genuine desire to follow him. It by doesn't submitting. mean that you yes, by right. James is famous for faith without works is, is dead. In James chapter 4, he says, submit to God, flee from the devil. The devil will flee from you. Like, those are commands, and those are, that's what the Christian wants to do, is to submit to God and to flee from the devil. And so that right there is the evidence of salvation, is that desire. And then you, because you have that desire, you have the Holy Spirit within you, you're trusting in the gospel, and we're in faith that the Lord will deliver you well, yeah, continuously it's, from it's, it's in your sin. submission to the Lord that yes. you overcome your sin. Right, but we have to remember that's the third use of the law, yes. right? That's not gospel. So for a Christian listening and they're like, well, I didn't, I didn't submit to God and flee the devil. 
therefore I'm not saved. No, that's that's not what we're saying. Right. We're not trying to use the first use a lot. This is the third. You're a Christian. This is your guardrail to walk the Christian life. This is what who God is and what he expects from us. And we can't meet it. And that's the purpose of the gospel. The issue is the desire. And, well, so, so Do that's, you desire that's, that's, that's part of it. And, and I'll say that MacArthur kind of backpedals like in, um, in Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler Oh, give up all your stuff, and then he uh, he transfers that application to us. But well, we don't have to give up our stuff, but we we have to desire to give up our stuff, and that's that's law. At the end of the day, what Jesus preached to that man, he did not give him the gospel. He was the gospel. He stood in front of him, and the man wanted to justify himself. And so I think I think we need to be careful. And and another point is. Uh, in one of my favorite confessions, it says here, the most wise, righteous, and gracious God does uh, oftentimes leave first season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness in their hearts that they may be humbled and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon him and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for all kinds of other just and holy ends. But you can be a Christian and go through periods of time. We see this in almost every saint in scripture and we don't see everything about and every our life and yeah. our life. I mean, look at the periods. And so the question is like the, the people who are like preaching the first use of the law towards Christians. Well, you're not basically you're not you don't have the as great as desire as I have. You don't have as great consistency as I have. And I want to say to them, no, God's law requires perfection. Right. You have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Therefore, your metric, your uh, requirement is inadequate. You don't meet it too, and you're just like me. But then again, there are evidences. So I just want to Well, because John, John mentions that. that too. Like, I mean, if you say you don't have sin, then you're a liar. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, like, John, seriously, First John, if you're listening, would probably be a good place to go and read to to see this, like, uh, where he's talking about this contrast for the believer that, like, we do sin, um, right? We'd be lying if we said that we don't. But it, again, he also gets into chapter three where he talks about practice of sin, right? Where it's just this, because it, what does practice do? Practice makes perfect. perfect. So you're trying to almost perfect your sin in the sense of you're practicing it, you're you're making it a habit. Um, but then Paul in Colossians in chapter one talks about this, this ongoing learning and this knowledge that, that leads not just to knowledge, to be able to be a Pharisee, but practice, um, through submission of the Lord, uh, where he talks, he's uniting us to Christ. We've been set free in Jesus talks about this, this unity and this uh, union between us and the Lord. And then Colossians one verse nine. And, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So when they heard about their salvation, they've not ceased to pray for them, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as, so this is the connecting point. You're getting this knowledge, right? But it's supposed to lead to something. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy to the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. So calling us to, to learn and to grow in our faith, but he also says there, which is what should set you free to go and to do the things that the Lord has commanded. He says that God himself qualified you. Right, God Himself saved you, um, so you can now live free, not to sin. This is really important when we're talking about Paul's letter to the Romans. It's it's you are free not to sin habitually, make practice of, but to make practice of holiness. Right, to to honor the Lord your God with all you know you have. So, so Rem, to, just to, to summarize everything we just said, right? We started off by saying Jesus cannot be your Savior if He's not your Lord. What right. does that mean, Mark? Yeah, I mean, he, he um, I mean, there's so many different ways to define that. Uh, I don't know what the primary one would be, but if you, if you come to Jesus, you, you cannot come to him 
as this especially needy Savior who needs you to be saved. He wants nothing more than for you to be saved, and he is your best friend, and he is just there to lay his life down for you, nothing else. We, we, we would uh, be ignorant if we did that, because he is God Almighty. He is, uh, he is God. He is you know, so with the Father and the Son. And yeah, I mean, the, the traditional you know, definition of faith is you have your assent, right? You have, uh, you know, it's, you accept it in your heart. So you're aware, you know, you understand what's being said. You accept that. Uh, and you run to Christ. So he cannot be just your savior. He is your Lord. And, um, you know, I, I know there've been a lot of different, you know, tracks we've run down. Uh, but for the person who thinks, you know, I, I'm okay because I did say a prayer, you know, he's my savior. You're, you're on the one side of the ditch. And then for the person who thinks that, uh, there's all these performance things that you're meeting and pleasing God. You're on the other side. So there's the middle road, which is the God, you know, the law drives us to the gospel and the gospel is Christ himself who offers it freely. So, I mean, and maybe we can end here. Why, Mark, we'll leave it with you. Why do we do good? To glorify God. It's, you know, even, you know, when we were, when God saved us, we didn't believe to glorify God, so to speak. To speak. We, we were, you know, we we believed on him as far as motives go out of selfishness. Uh, but God changed our hearts and uh, we, we want to do good because it glorifies God and it benefits the church, the world that God is redeeming to himself. And I think that's, that's good to understand because we're not wanting to do good to merit favor. We're not wanting to do good to uh, find our way to heaven. It's because the way found us and set us free that we, we go on to honor him and all that we do. And we've been given the power to do that, not by our own doing, but by his pouring out of the spirit to dwell inside of us and direct us. We've been given the church to encourage us to stir us up to good works. And let me say this. I know that we've got uh, members in the church that have, have listened to our podcast. Um, they've been encouraged also by other believers in the church. And it's made them want to, to live more faithfully because they're, they're understanding what the Lord does in the life of a believer. And that's the reason you know, we, we meet is to encourage one another to good works. And obviously that has to do with rebuking one another, uh, loving one another through correction, uh, weeping with those who weep. There's, there's so much that goes into that, but it's because Jesus has set us free because we understand that Jesus is God and that we're submitting to his Lordship, um, that we go on with this new life, um, to, to obey him. So, um, real quick, we'll go around, uh, as, as fast as we can. This is something that just kind of came to my mind, but Mark, what's one thing that your family, did um, as a child, and it's something like you just did. It's a family tradition, something that they instilled in you. And we'll go around the horn so everybody would be thinking. Something they instilled. Did you play uh, racquetball? Now, like you always just play racquetball. I'll give you an example. We're Browns yeah, fans. Start with, Browns start with yep. Gary. So Pastor Gary, Browns fans. So now it's family's Browns fans. Anybody? Everybody speak up. Uh, we played a lot of pool when I was a kid. So now, you like play pool. now you're sitting like elbows bump into a pool table. We got to play. Yeah, I, I mean... I can't think of any particular tradition, but my folks were always big on like giving to the poor. I know it sounds kind of cheesy. Oh, you guys are shooting Browns and pool. That that's just what they instilled is you know helping sure. helping and people. It, it, yeah, it, sure. it, it, in other countries uh, as well, in my, particular Eastern Europe. I want to take mine back. Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, so, no, 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 we're Baptist. That was our tradition. So uh, for me, real simple, manners. Like my dad, we'd be going to someone's house, and you all might like think that's funny. Like everybody should be respectful. But my dad, we'd be going to his friend's house, and before we got out of the car, Michael, what do you say? I'm like the first time I remember being like, um, thanks for getting us here safely. Uh, and he's like, you say, thanks for having us. Like you go to the host, and you say, thank you for having us. Right. Uh, Mr. Spore, we'd always go to, over to the Spore's house, and I remember that. And he said, and, and if they ask you if you want something, what do you say? Like, uh, yes, please, or no, thank you. Um, like, he would run through that with me every time, and now it's just something that's in me, and people will be like, man, you're, like, really respectful. Like, you don't see that now these days. But it was a Meadows family thing. So, Jeremy, did you have anything? Uh, we didn't really have, like I said, like he said, we didn't really have, like, a ton of um, traditions, but we did live at the church all the time because we had, my parents worked at the school. The school was attached to the church. We went to the church at night. Whatever doors open, we were always there. So even when I was going through my times of like, you know, sin and, and not living for God completely, I was still going to church. Even if we didn't have a set church, we were trying to find a church. 
Yeah. Uh, even though the, oh, the need wasn't there, it was like, that's what we do. So it kind of helped keep you in that. Right. In that Sticks moment. with you. So oh, yeah. Pastor Gary mentioned it. You're a new creation in Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God. Now your family traditions spiritually have changed. Your identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your identity. So your identity is in Christ and, and Christ's family um, lives together and works together according to his will and his purpose. So I think that's a lot of what we need to understand too is, is being a part of church is so important because in that we're, we're stirred up to good works. Uh, we see the way that our family should live and act and behave according, like from his word, um, but we live that out together. Um, so when you go out and you try and do uh, the, the John Wick or Liam Neeson Christianity, you want to go and be the, the warrior on your own, you're going to end up in one of the ditches that Pastor Mark mentioned. And, and just to, I really like the point when you asked me, why do we do good works? I, I was going in the general answer of scripture, but you're, you're right. We do because he has done. That, that is the answer. He finished the work. Uh, that we could not do. It's just and, like and you now, and our marriage. Out like, of gratitude. You, did you honestly, mention during you, the podcast? You just say, you know, like, you don't try to earn your wife's love. It's not like that. But you do get motivated yes. to, to serve her, Michael, because... What? I'm trying to teach you does young it, guys something. Does no. Aubrey listen to this? No, but that's... I mean, there is a level up where you just... Yes. It's a matter of respect because of the nature of the relationship. Right. It's not like, oh, if I don't do this, she won't love me. I have to do this to love If you told you her... You get I, to love her. Yeah, it's like, I, right. Because is, you're married. Be, right, and because I respect that, like there's a level of honor and respect and like, I, I just want to do these things, whatever it is, because I wouldn't do this, for, in other words, if I was single. Believe me, it would be like caveman world in a we believe one, you. one room apartment, okay? <laughs> I'd have a chair like this, I'd have a TV, a little TV stand. Okay, Naomi couldn't handle living like that. So I do I fail, but I do try to accommodate because I love her, not because I personally like feel like I need to do this, right? All right. Well, we hope that this podcast helped you to put Jesus in the perspective. If you have questions about this episode or a previous episode, or about our relationship with Jesus, please email us um, at engage at newhilloh.com or go to newhilloh.com slash ask, and we'll get back to you as quickly as we can. All right, church, go and honor God in all that you do. Observe the things he's commanded, provide to the needs of others, and extend the offer that's been extended to you. Peace. Godspeed. Boom.